This week on the Triathlete Hour, we have another Xterra legend in advance of Xterra World Championships next weekend in Maui. Leslie Patterson joins us today from Scotland to talk about never getting fast enough at swimming, quitting try out of frustration, and then coming back to Xterra because of the love of adventure and nature. Plus, how that all works with a movie industry career and what lessons she's learned when writing her book, The Brave Athlete. First, Sid Talks tackles the question, though, of Ironman world records and when should a swim be canceled? All of that after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, and a free finisher picks package each year. All for just $99. This is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how, and how-tos. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside, P-L-U-S, one word, dot com. All right, we're back with Sid for Sid Talks. And Sid, you're coming to us after your professional commentary gig, commenting Ironman South Africa overnight. So a lot of people, I mean, we've talked about it on the broadcast, or on the broadcast, on the podcast. You broadcast from Boulder when yes. you do this. Yes. Which people don't realize. No, I know. Yeah. So we, uh, we're in a studio in Boulder. We're actually just seeing the same footage and images that everyone else who's watching the live stream on, on Facebook gets to see. Yes, we do have some on the ground WhatsApp groups feeding us as like bits of more information if they can. But actually what we're doing is, is seeing the same shots and we're using the tracker the same as everyone else to get splits. Um, sometimes like, so in South Africa, the weekend, obviously Paul Kay is the commentator down there and he was on the ground. So we were able to go like live across to him a couple of times, which was really awesome. Um, but at the time, yeah, it's just, it's, it's us in the studio. We're a, uh, sat socially distanced two meters apart but they stitch us together on the on the screen to look like we're next to each other um fortunately we're not actually on screen that much especially when it's an overnight um, right. <laughs> overnight broadcast like South Africa was we started at um it was sort of hot I think we went live at 10 past nine local time in the evening and then I think I finished at about 6 30 a.m or walked out the door just after 7 a.m the next day but it's really bizarre like because you're sort of watching the race and you're obviously commentating on the race and you're in a uh, um the studio in the building where we do it it's obviously like blacked out curtains and everything so you actually have like mm -hmm. no concept of whether it's dark yeah. light what the weather is doing outside so it's it's very bizarre when you leave in the morning the next day and it's like oh it's sunrise and it's sunny and we've had like a whole night that's gone on and <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting, but they look after us well. <laughs> well, that's good. They give you coffee, lots of coffee. Oh, you could have like whatever coffee, Coke, Red Bull, snacks. Okay. M&Ms are my go-to tend to be during the night shift. Um, I did have some fruit to try and be a little bit healthy and sparkling water. Um, I only did one one can of Coke, um, but the the M&Ms were, were a go-to. And obviously the... 
thing about South Africa, one, Maurice Clavel won his first title over Sebastian Keeling. It was a relatively exciting yes. race. Two, yeah. Ruth Astle is clearly like an up-and-comer. It's her second Ironman title. And I think, I mean, you know, and I'm sure you talked about the broadcast, but not all our listeners know, she came out of the Zwift Academy. Yes. Which is very interesting for a lot of people. Yeah. Is that going to be like, I always wonder if that's going to end up being like the model to create new pros now. Yeah. So it was, and I'll get this right. I think it was 2018 or 2019. It might've been apologies. I should know that stat. And I did have it written down. Ruth was part of the Zwift Academy and actually so was one of the other pro women that raced Mm -hmm. in South Africa as well. Um, and they came through as age groupers. They were, had the whole big Zwift setup in Kona that year um yeah I think it was 2019 um it was obviously an amazing opportunity for a group of age group athletes they're sort of I don't know the details but yeah they're in about three big they get a lot of stuff they get a lot of stuff they get a lot of support for an age grouper um and Ruth won her age group and was overall female um winner in Kona that year and then uh Natia was um also won her age group and they both then turned pro. So did a couple of the men on Zwift turned pro. Now, from what I understand, that's not necessarily the model that Zwift Academy is after, but it just happened Mm. that that year the athletes they had were incredible. I also got to say, you win the overall amateur as a overall Kona title as an amateur and you don't upgrade to pro like totally you're gonna get a lot of shit (laughs) totally agree totally agree and actually Ruth delayed Ruth delayed turning I think she could have effectively turned pro a year before but she wanted that overall amateur title at Kona like I don't think she'd had that so she delayed a year so yeah um and then turned, turned pro sort of after Kona that year uh did a pro debut in I think it was Ironman Bustleton that year and then obviously COVID hit but um and she's now come through and had an incredibly successful 2021 and particularly obviously the back half of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to be fair, she is, I wouldn't even call her a typical pro or maybe she is, but the top echelons of the pros and amateur, you know, she's based in Leeds. She has an incredible setup the, with, with the high Leeds is the center. hot new triathlon. It is. Yeah. yeah. So she's effectively, I don't know full details, but she has the opportunity to train with the best athletes in the world. She's, you know, the swim squad that she's got there, you know, they've got an endless pool where, where she lives and, and all of that, as well as I think, I still believe she works part time or for a couple of days a week. So yeah, some people can say that that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, you're balancing a corporate and a pro career, but it obviously, I think it, I think it depends on the person. Yeah, it's the person as well um, of what works for them, but it also gives her financial ability to then invest in herself mm-hmm. to 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 do the, to what she's done, and you know that's shown in the improvements that she's made, kind of thing. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I won't go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> I think it varies. I think it depends on the person. Sometimes people are like get very hung up on like, oh, well, she's really good and she's still working to three quarters time so she could be better if she quit but that's not always true lots of people do that and they don't get better because in yeah. reality that wasn't the thing that was their limiter and so it depends on what your limiter is whereas if you go full-time and you have no money then that's actually a big problem and then that becomes your limiter so it, it varies by person totally totally I mean like yeah. an example perhaps is like Lucy Gossage a few years ago when 
she admits it herself when she was a full-time pro and she had great success, but she probably overtrained. And actually mm. she, when she went back to work part-time and she's a doctor, so that's pretty stressful as well. But when she went back to work part-time and then had sort of her final year as a professional athlete, I think she won every Ironman there pretty much was going <laughs> and had like some of one of her best years ever. And she actually said it was because she'd be she saw it now that she was overtraining as a full-time right. pro and so actually the balance with work meant that she cut back on that and, and look I think most triathletes are a-type personality and they need something else to occupy them so that they don't over train and do there's also in. a thing where like if you quit your job because you're gonna be a pro you feel like you need to train more because why else did you quit your job yeah this is like totally- a whole different psychology that's like yeah. Yeah, a whole thing we could talk about. This yeah. we actually got wildly off topic because we were going to talk about <laughs> Ironman in South Africa. <laughs> right? Yeah, we've got we no intention of going down that path before we went on the podcast and we came live. Anyway, Ironman South Africa. Yeah, South Africa. The big thing about Ironman is that the the Twitter controversy of Ironman South Africa was that they cut the swim. They cut it in half for pros, and they cut it down to like. 400 meters or something you said. It was, for like the age in out. It was an in and out, in and out <laughs> session for the age groupers. <laughs> Swimming 20 meters, that round of buoy back. <laughs> and obviously like the thing on the internet is everyone can have an opinion about whether or not they should have done that. And it sounds like, I mean, Lauren Brandon said it was really, really, really choppy. Um, she's a very, very good swimmer. You, so, yeah. Look, and, and obviously you have to be, when you're not there and you can't see the conditions now, it's really hard to make, it's very easy to make opinions. And that's the beauty of social media this day, that it gives everyone a platform to have their own opinion about everything in the world, whether it's right or wrong. And maybe that's the point is their opinion. Um, when we were seeing, yeah, when we were seeing the footage um, before the race started and then actually during the race, it looked pretty solid surf, like, it took the you could see the men and the women it, it they battled to get out through the waves and then even when they were out through the break open it's an ocean swim in south africa like the swell was big the boats were like rocking now do i think as professional athletes we should be able to swim in in most conditions yes there is obviously a point if the waves are enormous there is a safety element and obviously when you've got an age group race as well um it's hard to know, like you have to respect the decisions of the team on the ground. They're the ones dealing with safety. It sometimes is maybe out of their hands as well. It might be the water safety, mm-hmm. it might be the local authorities that are leading that. I, yeah, I struggle with that kind of case of if it's, if it's okay to swim 1.9K, then why can't you swim 3.8k you know if it's well there's all kinds like you just said there's all kinds of factors and i think sometimes people don't think about this a lot of it has to do with whether or not the boats and kayakers can be out there and so if they can't be and maybe they can be there for a short time for the pros to do it but then they can't handle it for like the two and a half hours exactly or they can have fewer kayaks for the pro race because they know no one's probably going to need that right but then they they wouldn't be able to do that so i think that actually is a factor that a lot of times when they deal with swims they that athletes don't think about it has yeah. to do with the kayakers and the safety personnel and the the boats more than yeah, you know totally. the athletes yeah. yeah and just like you know um maybe this, this is maybe not an argument but actually when you've got rough conditions like this the swim 
the holding the swim boys in place or the the marker boys in place like that could be that could be tricky I've done races where they've moved um and they've tried you know they've tried to give you a legit course but actually the conditions and the wind are so bad that the the boys the swim boys moving as you're kind of going along um it's a hard it's a really hard argument I don't know what the right wrong or if there is right wrong answers you know um you've got to take safety first and I think more and more these days that is being recognized as a priority maybe in previous years it wasn't quite right. as, as taken you do as get a lot today. of uh to that point right you do get a lot of people who say things like back in my day this is the art whenever this comes up back in my day like especially like after i am in california i heard a lot of like we would have had the race no like you wouldn't have that's stupid but two i think yes we can concede that more cancellations, modifications are happening now than you used to. Partially, there are more races now, so that's just numbers. There are more athletes now, so you have to take more athletes into consideration. And then two, like, or three, whatever number we're on. We did a lot of things back in the day that, like, yeah. were <laughs> great yeah. ideas. <laughs> like, I I mean, uh, I've got two things here. I, I, when I went traveling around Europe, and it's nothing to do with drugs or anything like that. I'm not going down that path. But there was things I did traveling as a single female on my own, walking down a dark street with no street lights, with like a backpack on my back and my front with a map clearly saying tourist across, you know, in the dodgiest area to find a, a hostel. I would never kind of do that nowadays because I, you know, there's... So there's things like that. I do, but that's often a time. <laughs> like we're actually going into like a whole nother hole here. <laughs> But going back to the swim, I do, and I don't think it would have changed necessarily the decision around shortening swims or cancelling swims. I do think there is a case for bringing back qualification to do a full distance mm. race. Maybe like, I do think you should have to have done. Like I think the first time I did a full distance as a as an amateur in my very first year, like as a triathlete, I'm pretty sure it was then I had to qualify either by doing a seventy point three. You must have done by having to do a 7.3. Um, and I do think maybe there's something about, about that that just so that you have it gives the events organizers a little bit more confidence that the athletes going into the water. Now, I'm not saying that that means they change the decision safety and all those restrictions still have to kind of be that priority. But I just think maybe it's something we should look at again. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think there are two things that are probably a conflict. One is like we want our sport to be bigger and have more people. And then two, like th- with that comes new rules and new protocols and new things you have to do. So yeah. it is what it is. It is. The other internet controversy this weekend yeah. was <laughs> Ironman Cozumel. All right. So Christian Blumenfeld made his Ironman debut at Cozumel, went 721, which is just absurd. I think, like, I mean, so yes, it, it puts, is technically it a world the record. Like, you know, if we if we talk about the sub seven, sub eight projects, when everyone's been going, yeah, it's totally possible for the women to go sub eight because they've kind right. of gone like eight twenty before. But the men know they're never going to be able to do that. And now it's like, hmm, they may only hmm. have to take twenty minutes off now, which is the same as the women. <laughs> But, Which gets to the whole, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, sub seven, sub eight, obviously, is like a very constructed thing. There's going to be drafting. There's going to be all the stuff that you saw in the Marathon Breaking 2 project. Cosimo was an actual race. Yeah. Actual race conditions. So the big controversy is, so he did a 721, which shatters the existing world best. We can get into world record versus world best in a second. Time by, like, it was over 10 minutes. It was like 13 minutes or something. 
He swam a 39, biked a 402, and ran a 235. Now, out of all those times, the 39 is the one that, like, jumps out at you. On those. (laughs) (laughs) Bright lights. And so a lot of people, the controversy was kind of like, what is this right? Does a current aided swim count? Was it an accurate course? Clearly, the bike course was fast, and that just is what it is. But, you know, is it all measured correctly? So what counts then when we're like, can you bike all downhill? Can you swim all downhill? (laughs) Totally. Because, you know, like, if you go back to, and I know it's different, but if you go back to, like, athletics, and it's on a a track, it's a track and field. field, Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) Wrong country. Wrong nation. (laughs) Um, It's on a standard 400 meter set, you know, a a track or quarter mile, as I should say. Um, But even they have regulations of what is counted as a world record or a stadium record or a competition record because of the wind um limits right so you could say well then in a swim in a triathlon the swim even if it's the 3.8k there is a limit on the current that is allowed perhaps maybe that's like what you start but does everyone anyone actually want to do that is another thing um but yeah i think yeah i mean the reality is they don't The reality is there is no, whereas in running, like you're saying, there are rules and there are certifications and you have to like, the course has to be certified to be the correct distance. And there has to be like no pacers allowed and there has to be drug testing. There has to be all this stuff. There's even like a women's record camp. There are different records for if there were men running with them versus only women, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And it can, Boston doesn't count because it's a net elevation downhill and all this stuff. Triathlon doesn't have that. Like it literally does not exist. There is no govern like governing body that oversees record certification, and their courses aren't certified. Like that's it's not a thing. <laughs> like your your course is about 140 miles, like give or take. <laughs> yeah, and so and, and do they? And and we and it always it always fascinates me when people talk about PBs as well because I'm like, but it's totally different from the the PB that you did on that course in that half distance or whatever. But I do think it's, it, it like, I think calling it fastest known times and fastest performances, and yes, recognizing that these performances were amazing and impressive, but also recognizing the inconsistency between them. Um, and until we have it, until you get the, all those athletes on a, competing on one course kind of together, and that course is, like you said, standardized, rectified, whatever else then it's amazing and it's amazing for the sport and it, i love seeing performances like that because it does just make you go wow um right and i think you know on the women's side as well sarah Sphinx was only right. four minutes off the fastest well actually she she said an ironman brand, branded world record which everyone is nobody's mentioning that like in stuff but she was only four minutes off the fastest known again time over an iron distance um no no she said okay so she said an ironman brand world record the ironman yes. distance world record is still owned by chrissy wellington from roth and then the oh. top two men at cozumel both broke yes. the existing ironman and iron distance world record because the previous one was um yawn at challenge roth and yeah. then you have to get into the whole like does yawn's battle royale count but they also yes. both <laughs> broke that yeah, no, Christian broke that. So it has to be a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, however, Christian's performance yeah. was mighty impressive. To mm-hmm. sort of, I, I love the fact that it was kind of like I, you know, I see Gustafiedens 
740 that you did in Florida. And I'll just raise the bar again. You know, I'll just, you know, that was good. Tip my hat to you, but let me show you what I can do. I actually <laughs> think though, the 740 and 742, I believe is what it was in Florida yeah. with a exceptionally slow swim, like by most accounts is about 10 minutes slow compared to the 721 with an exceptionally fast swim by most accounts, about 10 minutes fast. Those are actually probably about the same. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. In fact, I would almost yeah. say that Gustav's is more impressive because I don't know about that. But a tough slow swim potentially is more it's harder, yeah. Than having a down current. Oh, it's all hard. It's three point eight. It We're, really I'm comes down and I'm causing you know, causing <laughs> But it really both- comes down to we need to see them head to head with Jan and Lionel and Come Sam on. Long. And Sebi Keenley and Sebi. Patrick Lang all together. Yes. And it'll be great. Yeah, be totally. Fantastic. Totally agree. Whether, <laughs> that, whether that's St. George in May or whether we have to wait for Kona, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I still. I think we still don't know for sure. Think, um, it sounded like Christian was talking about May. Um, mm-hmm. It sounded like Christian will be there in May. I'm undecided on, I'm undecided because it's my decision. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure whether uh, Gustav will be there in May and or Yam. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, there are also a number of Olympians now. I mean, as you usually see post-Olympics, Olympian, they, they all kind of move up in distance to like start transitioning. And you're now seeing a number of the Olympians uh, make their move to 70.3. And though that's in the last few races we still have left on the calendar. That's one of the interesting things. So Indian Wells, we have Vincent Louie and Yelly Jins, yes. whose name I can never pronounce, um, lined up for their first 70.3. And there's, in my opinion, no way Vince should lose that. And then we've heard Kay Zafaris is going to make her 70.3 debut sometime soon. Don't know, don't know quite yet. Yeah, when. I don't know it's, where. It is interesting. I think it's interesting as as well, though, because, yeah, normally after an Olympic year, a lot would step up because they've kind of got a year buffer before they then go into an Olympic cycle again and have to qualify. Um, mm-hmm. But actually that's all squeezed now because you've only got three years to Paris and – the 2022 season has already started. Right. Um, right. So it's still in, it is, it's almost like more interesting now that you are seeing, you know, um, Johnny Brownlee and quite a few of the oh, European Brownlee did too, in yeah. 70.3 Portugal um, a couple of, a month ago or so. And I think um, one of the others, Aaron Royal did, I think as well. And like a few people there. So it was certainly, I mean, it, you always get it, but it's, it's quite intriguing to see. And, you know, it always just brings another wave of, Mm-hmm. It just lifts the sport. I mean, look at Gustav and Christian. Johnny Brownlee was like six at Portugal too. He, and, he, and he said like, it was, it was a long, long run yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah. Totally, It is, it is interesting. And I almost feel like you can't totally predict who's going to do well at longer distances. Like if you look back at Jan Perdino at the ITU distance or whatever we're calling it now, I don't think you would have predicted that he was going to become like the best long course athlete in history. Even even Daniela Reef kind of thing. Yes, yeah. she had some results at ITU, and she was obviously one of the best in the world because she's racing <laughs> ITU. But you wouldn't necessarily have picked her out to then be the dominating female athlete yeah. for so many years. Um, Which to go back to the record discussion, Sid, <laughs> out of all of the records. Yes. So if we know that there are fast courses, we know that there are fast courses, and we know there are slow courses. If you look at the record books, it's like Ironman Texas 2018, like over and over. And then it's Ironman Cozumel 2021, like over and over. And then you have Brazil. The one that stands out is Daniela Reef, previous to this Cozumel race, had the Ironman brand world record, which she set in Kona yes. in 2018. 
Yes. That is crazy. That, that is crazy. Ever happened. That admittedly, is it was one of those, it was like a freak a year fast, of weather. Yeah. It was a fast year. But the men, you know, the men's record didn't fall that that year either. I just no. think that year when she got the Ironman branded world record um, or fastest time, I should say, yeah, it just shows how impressive that performance was and how like that's just, that sh- yeah, should be, should put it even Which- almost higher now. Oh, see, so now what we need is like, you know how you, uh, we've discussed, or everyone's discussed at length, like the rankings and the points and comparing one for, now we need a co- whole comparison that says like, well, was Danielle's 2018 Kona better than Chrissy Wellington's 2012 Roth? Exactly. Like who's, yeah. <laughs> totally. Versus Annie Howe's 2021 Roth, they're again, short on course. <laughs> Which maybe would have been a world record if it had been a world record. And, and they legitimately, I mean, that wasn't a, it's slightly short. That was a legitimately, we yeah, are 10 k short yeah. on the bike, but still it just, yeah, goes to show. <laughs> See, and then if we come with an out, then that could tell us who was better, Gustav or Christian. <laughs> yes. Or, yeah. you know, we could just That's have racing. We just have racing and, 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 see. and go head to head. Yeah. 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 It would, yeah, it's going to be, Oh, it's going to be super interesting to see. The Norwegians, we say the Norwegians are coming. I'm expanding that. I think the Scandinavians are coming. There's a bunch mm. of Danish as well, the Swedish guys um, who are all sort of starting to creep over from Europe um, into mm. the races in America. So the Americans may need, may, might be a, become a bit more familiar with the European names coming into next year. That is one of our problems. So I can, we can't keep them all straight. I have to tell you, though, I asked the Norwegians, I was like, what is it? Like, is it where you guys trained? Is it like the location? And they were said, no. Bergen is a terrible place to train. Yeah. It is very cold. <laughs> I was like, all right then. <laughs> but I mean, you could say the same things about Leeds in the UK. It's not, you know, a super temperate place and it's churning out champions. So yeah, totally. Totally. All right. Of the races left, which ones are you most excited about in the remainder of the year? Oh, heck. So we've got 70.3 Indian Wells, Daytona and Ironman Bustleton, I think. Are the three left? Correct me if I missed anything out. Um, Indian Wells, I'm excited to see Vincent Luis. I mean, he has raced. He raced Daytona last year and stuff. So he has raced um, like half distances and stepped up. But he's always a fantastic athlete to watch. Um, obviously, I'm excited about Daytona because I'm racing, which is <laughs> headline. <laughs> headline news. But, um, but they, you know, they put on a good race and it's going to have good coverage and they'll say you know I just it's just good to see people again and get to a race and yeah that's yeah that's the thing like it's when you're commentating it's awesome but yeah being in the studio you miss out on like being on the ground and being able to to catch up with everyone and just because it's like I said it's been such a strange year the last couple of years sort of just being back in that race environment is always exciting so yeah I think that'd be they're my two out of the three racing out of the three nice all right there you go um (laughs) Uh, cool. Well, thanks for chatting. Yeah, I kept getting asked, like, who's my podium <laughs> for the, the race in South Africa? And I gave about five names. I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit on the fence and give five names. Um, what about you, though? What are you looking forward to? Oh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not uh, racing anymore triathlon. So that's not an issue right now. Uh, <laughs> I do think, I mean, <laughs> any more ultras. Exactly. I do think, I mean, Vince could end up being a very, very good 70.3 racer obviously he may not nail it on the first time but i would be shocked if he doesn't uh so i do think like he's gonna be really good daytona does look good i'm kind of disappointed um 
that, you know, some of the bigger female names aren't going to be there. Uh, but the men's race still is like pretty, yep. pretty, pretty deep, pretty solid. And then it's got, you get, then we got to start thinking about next year. It's yeah. time to start planning 2022. I know it's crazy. I can't believe it's like, well, Thanksgiving, my first Thanksgiving in the US, I think I'm pretty sure this week. And then it's like almost, there's already, already Christmas lights up everywhere. I already feel like I'm listening to the Adele concert and the Adele album, and it feels like it's a Christmas album. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm writing my Christmas cards. I'm buying Christmas presents. I'm like, where did the year go? Heck. Cool. Well, we will probably, we may be back after Daytona. We might take a break until 2022 and then see you then. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks, Kelly. All right, this week we're talking to Leslie Patterson, three-time Xterra world champ, two-time ITU cross world champ. Is it true that they really call you the Scottish Rocket? It is 100% true. And, and, and check this out, I'm in Scotland right now. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm fulfilling my destiny. I'm rocketing around. And, uh, and you, we were just talking about this, but last minute you jumped into US Xterra Nationals last month, a month or two ago. Yeah. So are you going to do worlds now are you going to be in maui next month or is it still like up and down you can't decide no no, no. i'm definitely not doing it so we had committed to this trip to come back from you know because i live uh, currently sort of san diego los angeles and we'd committed to coming back to see our family um you know november december christmas the whole piece um back in scotland and england uh, you know my husband's family's from england right and we've not seen everyone because of covid for over two years two and a half years in fact um so we had committed to that way back so um and you know I'm, i'm getting to the point in my career where you know i'm moving away from racing and you know moving more into film and i know we'll kind of chat about that later but it you know it's kind of a nice place to be in actually where i can kind of take it or leave it and if i was around maybe i would do it and actually really enjoy it but um i'm i totally have no FOMO, which is nice. So you're only doing things that sound like fun right now, basically. Exactly, exactly, which is really quite the opposite of where I've been throughout my athletic career, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of talk about how you got into Xterra, because you started out playing rugby as a kid, and right. then you, I mean, that just, first off, that sounds crazy. Rugby's very intense. Uh-huh. Secondly, I think you were like the only girl, right? Totally. And I think, you know, that's kind of been my personality. It's like if someone tells me I cannot do something and I'm like, you know, if you sort of a thing, I'm going to show you. And uh, that's a very Scottish thing. And so, um, right. yeah, growing up, it was just I love to get muddy. I love to be out there. I love to be in, you know, the wet and the wild. And I, I love to just be up on the boys and just had so much fun with it. You know, it's such a huge part of my spirit. And I think that's why I, I ended up getting to Xterra, because I feel like, Xterra is like you know triathlon plus rugby equals Xterra you know (laughs) so it's sort of really and I think it matches my personality I love fighting against the elements rather than fighting against other people I'm more you know I came from a team sport right so it was more about kind of working Mm -hmm. with each other to overcome the odds and so in many ways you know and that's what's wonderful about Xterra as well there's that sort of like real team collective it doesn't feel so aggro one competitor versus the other because the terrain is so challenging and tough that everyone's just struggling right well i mean you 
eventually, I mean, you almost quit triathlon, right? And I you did. eventually found Xterra is my understanding. Exactly. Yeah, I can kind of walk exactly. Because that was yeah, that yeah. was a climb for me. You know, I, uh, I I was very competitive as a junior. So when I could no longer play rugby at the age of twelve, my dad got me into a local triathlon club, and you know, I loved that. It was equally crazy, and uh, you know, it was pretty good, pretty quick, and got on the Scottish team, um, and then was asked to go down to London and and try out for the British team. And at the time, it was when it, it you know it just switched to drafting races. Um, you know, it was going to be an Olympic year 2000 that whole thing and mm-hmm. um uh, you know it really was the 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 landscape of triathlon was changing and it was very it was very sports science driven um a lot of scientists were coming in and sort of dictating how things should be run it hadn't quite reached the level it, it, the, that it's at now and as a consequence a lot of those mm-hmm. scientists didn't really have the acumen or ability to communicate with with athletes and here i was kind of a a 16 year old girl coming from the north of scotland down into big england you know and uh, being told that um you know oh well your numbers your vo2 max your this your that and you know now what i know about sort of sports psychology that's assuming of course that you're good at doing testing it doesn't actually tell you that much and what i found was i had a really big heart i mean in terms of spirit and you know put me in a race put me you know hanging on the wheel of someone and i could you know hang on way beyond any number that i could show in the testing lab Mm. um but then not only that it was you know it would move to drafting races uh, uh, as as the main sort of um, focus, and certainly in 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 the world of the UK, we're funded by lottery funding, by government funding over over here, and that all goes towards just Olympic sports. Um, so right, right. it was purely just Olympic, you know, drafting races and triathlon. And I I did not come from a swimming background, and while I was you know knocking knocking out a 20 minute 1500 which is not bad you know the girls that are coming out I mean now of course they're coming out in freaking 17 and a half minutes or 17 minutes but then it might be 18 and a half you know but you come out a minute and a half two minutes down you've missed the front pack the second pack and you're screwed and even although I was a good runner and good cyclist that you know I just kind of lost my confidence and so got very disillusioned Um, and the sport was changing too Mm. like all the drafting races of course are city centre multiple loops um, and I grew up in the in the hills of Scotland, out in the countryside, and loving that. And so I hadn't quite found my heart uh, in the sort of city multiple loop drafting based triathlon. So um, always wanted to go to the Olympics, but sort of just came up short, felt a total failure, and and sort of retired mm-hmm. from the sport at the age of twenty. And um, met my husband across here, and, and we moved out to California. He got a job as a professor at San Diego State University and uh, initially and then UCSD and um, just completely needed to press the reset button, I think, kind of emotionally more than anything. So um, ended up doing a master's degree at San Diego State in in theatre, theatre in English and I would say just kind of rediscovering myself as a person, emotional, mm-hmm. figuring out who I was and what I wanted. Because when you're funneled into this kind of government program, you're showing, okay, you need to be like this if you want to be a world champion. You need to be mm-hmm. like that. Da, da, da. And they set out those parameters. And so you don't really feel like you can be you think there's only one way and we always say that now Simon's favorite saying is there's you know getting to the top is a cargo net not a ladder there's many different ways to do it 
And unless you really know yourself and understand the, those many different ways, and you test those many different ways, then you're 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 kind of left feeling like, well, that way didn't work, so I'm a failure, and I cannot do it. Um. So yeah, getting is that into how I mean. Yeah, I was just wondering in the UK, is that yes. I hear so many people say it's all about the Olympics, all about the system, you know, they funnel you. Do you guys like not have long course triathlon? Yeah. Do you not have like other <laughs> options? And that's the joke of it. Um, unfortunately, when the remit of public tax paying money uh, is is mm. is there, there needs to be something very definitive that define, you know, that, that sort of defines why something would get funded by that money and you know being a world champion and you know some other i don't know hopscotch you know is that relative (laughs) to being a a world champion swimmer you know and, and and how do you sort of quantify that and so commonwealth games and olympics were always those gold standards yeah which is so short-sighted because when you think of the amazing long distance British athletes that we have, you know, um, you know, Chrissy Wellington at the time. Uh, and then now you've got, you know, the Lucy Charles of it all. And then all the just, uh, there's amazing British athletes in, in long course and Xterra. And they, they don't give any support, which is so short-sighted because if you're thinking of that pyramid, how do we want to attract, attract as many young athletes as possible into the sport to give us a bigger pool to then draw expertise off of? How do you how do you attract all those young athletes? They're out and they're viewing the Lucy mm-hmm. Charles and the whomevers. You know, they're not necessarily just looking at those Olympic athletes. So it's it really is a shame, but unfortunately, that's just they've not really sort of been able to see beyond that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, the British women are insanely good right now. I mean, across all distant, like the British women are just crazy. There was Crushing seven it. British women in the top 12 at the, this past weekend at World Championship 70.3. There was like three British women in the top. Like, it's just kind of nuts all across the board right, right now. And what does that tell you, man? We're yeah. all going into endurance sports. So we can run away from something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I think a lot of our listeners though will totally understand and appreciate that the swimming was just you just couldn't you just couldn't crack that swim code right it was God. brutal I tell you what and you know just you, you can't seem to apply your sort of physiologic talent to the ability to move through the water sort of any quicker and then the psychology piece of it you know that flat 200s takeout speed to get on the feet and all of the nerves that would come you know oh my god if i don't make it on the feet then that's it my race is over your race is over in the first 200 right. meters oh my god oh my god oh my god you know and yeah you've got the psychology of all that too so um there was a lot of work that i ended up doing even although swimming is not as important in Xterra it's still really pretty important and the more the sport progresses the more important it gets you know if you're not in contention early on it can be challenging to to race through a field um so there was a lot that I did I I realized and here's the thing about that cargo net is understanding the physiology and the, the sort of how your how your brain works and where you're at mentally what what suits you mentally is 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 kind of a, a person and for me it was all about strength I'm, I'm kind of small and diminutive and I have a very strong cardiovascular system, but I never had the musculature. I never had the strength to stress the cardio system to get the, to, the, to, to the levels that I did. So when I realized that and I had some amazing coaches in San Diego that really helped me understand that in biking first, then I started to apply it to other sports and I was like, okay, strength is everything for me. 
Um, if I do it at the right time, of course, within the periodized section, but but that's everything for, for me. And personality-wise, it really made sense. I wanted to grind and push hard and 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 feel the muscles and feel the pain and feel the strength and work through it and push those barriers. Um, you know, so yeah, it's just fascinating once you start to figure out there's many different ways that you can, you know, get to the top. Right. So you're in San Diego reinventing yourself, which is why everyone comes to California, right? <laughs> yeah. How did you end up in Xterra? Like, how does one even find, you know, I see Xterra, yeah. but I'm never like, oh, yeah, let's go try that. How do you end up doing yeah. it? Well, you know, I'd always done a little bit of adventure racing. Um, I'd always been out in the mm-hmm. mountains, right, on the trails, a lot of hill running and fell running and stuff like that. So I guess that was always in my mm-hmm. psyche. Um, I started to do a couple of little mountain bike races and stuff, nothing major, but just kind of having fun. And then I, saw, I think I saw it in a magazine. I'm like, oh, my God, that looks amazing. And there was one local to where I lived, and I thought, I'll just go give it a go, you know. And, um, and and that was that. And I just was absolutely hooked. Everything about it, the environment, the culture, the how it made my body feel, uh, the skills that I needed actually played into my strengths, a lot more climbing. My power to weight is really good. Hill running, I'm really good at that. So it was just a lot of reasons why it, it suited me. And so I think the thing that a lot of people are concerned, like when they see Xterra and they don't do it, it sounds really hard, right? And you're like, I don't know how to ride a mountain bike. How long did it take you to learn how to ride a mountain bike? Not that like How many times did you fall? No, <laughs> right. Okay. Actually, not that much at first. I fell more later on in a way when I started taking more risks as I gained the confidence. But the key to mountain biking is – don't go out with one of those head cases that loves the technical shit and going off drop-offs and all that. That's not the right person to train with, right? You start off just <laughs> like anything with small, small incremental bump-ups in, in sort of technical, like, challenging. So you would start off just, like, on a gravel road, on a mountain bike, or even a gravel bike, just getting used to the sensation of how does it feel on rocks and stones compared to a flat, a flat pavement, um, you know, and, and you start off and what I would do is, again, it's just like building a structure, building a system to making yourself better. Just like when you start off swimming, you wouldn't go out to a big massive ocean and be like, OK, let's swim for a mile. Out. No, of course you wouldn't. You would start off in a, a in a 20 yard pool saying my goal is to get to the other end. It's the same with, you know, my right. So find a trail that's easy, that's not technical. You just get comfortable first and you do multiple loops of things so that you can get some mastery of things, gain some confidence. Once you've got a bit of confidence, then you bump it up and you just go to something a touch harder. Um, and what you'll find mm-hmm. in a fair racing is most of the races are not that technical. And if there are sections that are technical, you can get off and walk. It's not that big a deal. You know, loads of people do it. You know, I do it. There's sections and races I still walk um, if I'm just not comfortable um so you know if if you yeah in, in different different races in different parts of the country are more technical than others yeah i feel like uh i did one in tahoe and everybody was like oh no no it's not that technical that it was still tahoe's very technical tahoe's, very challenging yeah, well here's yeah. the deal. Ta- tahoe's not technical if you're an experienced mountain bike biker but bloody hell if you've never been on a mountain bike you're going up the side of a mountain and then it's a single track on the edge of a cliff oh my god are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I still find that scary. And there's, I, I think there's a section on one of those courses where there's like a little kind of rock garden right in the edge of a cliff. And you're like, oh, no, 
yeah. So You're like, nope, um, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't here. You, here's what you learn about mountain biking in general is is you don't really know what it's like until you've ridden it, because you can ask five different people and they'll all say five different things, and then you get super heady about it. Um, but again, start off with people that make you feel comfortable and don't make you feel under pressure. You can have some fun with it. You can do multiple loops, but it really is such an amazing sport. And what you get out of it is so, yeah, it's 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 kind of profound. Just that sort of in, in touch with nature more, and you know, you're away from the cars, and there's there's a real collective in 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 this sort of core of Xterra. People are very supportive, and they all just want you there having fun, you know. So is that what drew like what drew you to it? Is that why you liked it so much? I was gonna say what what was it about Xterra that you were like this? This is my going to be my thing. Two things. One, I love to be out in nature and I love the mountains. I love the hills. I love trails. Just love it. And the other thing was the people. The type of personality mm-hmm. that are in Xterra, people are so very competitive and they're intense and serious, you know, because they want to do well. But there's just more of a, a collective kind of a support network. It's more about... Um, hey, listen, we've all got to get to the top of that mountain. It's going to be bloody painful. It's going to be bloody hard. So let's support each other. Let's not push each other out of the way. Um, I think it feels more like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really friendly with a lot of the other pros. We have a good crack. We have a good laugh, um, which can be a bit different from road triathlon, I think. But it's still pretty competitive. I mean, so you obviously won five different world titles. How – and it's gotten more and more competitive over the years. How – how serious, how intense is that at that at that level? It's in, it's intense. I mean, the reason I won five is because I was, I mean, I was so, I'm such a driven person and I wanted to find every means to be as good as I possibly could and doing, all, I mean, huge volumes of training, working with the best in the world, mm-hmm. you know, really trying to be the best performer that I could be, uh, you know, training six hours a day. Folks are like, oh, you're just doing exterior, you're not doing Ironman. doesn't matter. You, you know, more is more. If your body can handle it and I'm not overtrained and all my, all, all my numbers, all my data tell me I'm not, then, then yeah, damn right, I'm going to go out and do more. Because if I do more and I've got a bigger base and I can, you know, uh, uh, do more VO2 max sessions as a consequence, I'm going to get fitter and faster. And I did. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's really, com- it's just like any sport at the top. It's really, really competitive. But I, I guess there's less kind of, cattiness or bitchiness there's a bit more support it's not quite so you know aggro um but yeah i mean it's 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 very competitive those guys at the top are super fast it's uh obviously flora's won a bunch of them now flora duffy oh is it gotten more do you feel like it's growing or shrinking or getting more i feel like it's hard to tell with Xterra because I would say, yeah, know. I would say the guys' field has gotten more competitive. Um, the girls' field okay. is, I think, about to get more competitive. Not so much on the American mm-hmm. side, but the European side. Um, Xterra in Europe, Europe is huge, especially sort of France, Belgium, oh. Germany. It's massive. Um, and so there's a lot of great talent coming out of there. So I think it's difficult. There really is almost two worlds uh, in Xterra. There's a European huh. circuit and then there's kind of the world circuit and they're, and they're very different. So, so oh, you don't really meet a lot of the European athletes unless you go over there and race until you get to the world championships. 
Um, you know, and then you'll have a, a bunch of road triathletes that, that want to have a go in Maui and, and jump in. And, you know, sometimes we'll do well and sometimes just get their arses just handed to them, you know, um, which is which is pretty amusing. Um, but, you know, it involves a lot of skill. Right, right. Um, and it's it's a different yeah. kind of skill. And, and, and the way that you push, the way that you redline, the strength that's required, it's it's very, very different. So when you, you know, jumped at U.S. Nationals, was it, do you, and you still like jump in things randomly, is it mostly Xterra? Have you done a road triathlon any time in the last, you know, 10 years? Yeah, I have actually. What, um, I was racing quite a lot of 70.3s up until 2014. Yeah. Um, that, I thought that's the way that I wanted to go was really pursue the 70.3 route. And then I, I realized it really... Mm. That was more about, you know, there's more money in it, there's more exposure, and it was less actually about how much I enjoyed it. Um, and mm-hmm. then um, I've done a lot of, like, sprints and Olympics and stuff. Like, I love doing stuff. love those races. Okay. Yeah. You do a lot of different things, though. I mean, I can't even keep track of all the things you do right now. So you <laughs> yeah. are working on films. Yeah. You're still like racing. You have a couple kind of like sponsor team getting people out. What are all the things you're doing right now? Oh my God. Right. Where do I start? So we have our own. So my husband, Simon. So we wrote the brave athlete, um, which uh, got right. quite a lot of coverage from you guys, which is awesome. So it's a uh, kind of brain training for the endurance athletes. And uh, that was an amazing experience writing that. And, and really sort of Simon, you know, he's a sports psychologist. He's worked, you know, at the Tour de France. He's done stuff with really high performance people and living with a wife that's a pro athlete is kind of crazy. So he learned a ton and we both did together. Um, and so I think that really helped us develop our coaching business. So braveheartcoach.com. So um, we've coached athletes for the last, what, 15, 20 years, really. Um, so we have a big cohort and then we have other coaches as well. So we have a big Braveheart sort of team and group, which is awesome. Um, and we put on big camps. We've got one at the end of January in San Diego, a Braveheart, it's Braveheart camp. Um, which is it just so so fun. So that's kind of our, our meat and potato of of kind of income at the moment, and and that sort of supported me through my professional career. Because as an Xterra racer, mm-hmm. there's not as much prize money. Uh, you have to be kinda, you have to diversify in terms of how you are going to earn your income, right? So um, and then mm-hmm. Simon was a professor at, at UCSD at the time and not really enjoying it. And I said, well, listen, come on the coaching full time you can essentially he you know he trains the brain i train the body and we have this kind of that's how we coach our athletes it's 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 a double team it's team team you brain and body um so um so yeah so that's that side of it and then he still does some consulting and and what have you um on his psychology piece but then with my background in in uh, theater i ended up doing some acting in fact in los angeles uh, and acting in random horror films please do not look at me <laughs> very embarrassing um and uh, learned that i actually l- love to to write and produce films so kind of like the management behind how a film comes together and so i produced a feature film you know and a like a low budget one and was like yeah that was super fun but then got back into triathlon was doing that full time and that was kind of tough but more recently well uh, we, we, we got the rights to a famous novel called All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, which is a German World mm-hmm. War I novel that most folks have to read in school. Really poetic. And we adapted yep. 
a screenplay out of that. And we had that for 15 years. And it was, you know, we had Daniel Radcliffe attached. We had this, we had that. We had loads of crazy stories about trying to get this film off the ground. And then um, eventually we managed to get this amazing German director and producer uh, on board. And then Netflix came on. They funded the whole film. It was shot uh, in uh, Czech Republic in March. Um, You know, big budget. Uh, so I'm a writer, ex- uh-huh. executive producer on that, and it's going to come out uh, on Netflix probably late summer of next year. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's really exciting. So that's going to be kind of a launch, at, like a stepping stone for us. So we've written a lot of other scripts and we're producing a lot of other films, and we hope that once All Quiet comes out, that will then will be hot for New York second and we'll be able to sort of like, okay, we've got this project. And, and, and we really do a lot of different things. So that was World War One. We're writing a script at the moment that's set in Ghana and Africa at the turn of the century. Um, you know, a true story that's like an African braveheart. Um, we've got one set in Ireland in the Irish travellers community. So we're trying to raise finance for that. And we've got a wonderful uh, Irish director that that's done some big films and worked with you two and all the rest of it. So we're doing lots of really fun and crazy things. Um, that is okay. that is a big departure from from sport. Um, but the, how does it all balance together? It's amazing, and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of top executives in the television and film world are triathletes, so they all uh, they all want to talk to me, which is great. I've made great connections through that. Secondly, when you've been used to such goal-oriented, driven, never given up, never quitting, that those are all the, the skills that you need in film because it is merciless. I mean, you're going to have a million goals <laughs> before you get a yes, but you just have to keep going because you're driven by a passion. And, and, and I think my success in sport came because I was driven by mastery of process, mastery of craft. I want to be mm-hmm. the best I can be and what can I do to make that happen? Not thinking about outcome. And it's the same in film. You're driven by the process of what it is that you're doing and by mastering that. And if you focus on those elements, the success comes if you stick with it and you stay determined. So, right. um, so are you go? So this is, this is the direction you think you're going in, right? Right. Yeah. Like you're going to be more focused on film now, less on triathlon. Are you still, but you're still going to, I'm still going to jump involved in days. Or? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, it's an, I mean, <laughs> any triathlete out there will know it's in your soul. I've done it since I was 12 years old. I'm now 41. Like, I will always be running up a mountain, doing something crazy. And it uh, that was what was so nice about jumping into nationals was I genuinely didn't care. I was so stoked to see everyone, to see my competitors that I'm friends with. We're having mm-hmm. such a laugh before the race, just shooting the shit and having a laugh and you know, whereas a few years ago, even three years ago, it would have been a tragedy if I was second. Oh, my God, she's second. Right. You know, and this time I was like, oh, my God, that was so awesome. I had so much fun. That's great. And I was so happy for um, Sam Kingsford that won. And so it's just a, a shift, right? But um, And then coaching, we'll always coach. We love our athletes. Um, we always want to keep doing that uh, and being part of the community because I think what we realize is it's been so instrumental in who I am as a person and um, it's my therapy and I know it's other people's therapy too. So I want to make sure I can help other people discover themselves through the sport, um, you know, through the mental training that we do, but through the physical training as well. 
obviously like you were talking about there's a lot of the mental training that's like what you guys are known for i've you know the brave athlete i've like read some of it and and it's really your thing what how does that like how do you train the brain as you say what what are like the common issues you see in your athletes I think it, what it is, is it's understanding the neurochemistry. So there's a big shift in sort of psychology, which is more towards the sort of neurochemistry of, of and neuroscience, right? So understanding how the brain operates mm-hmm. and why it operates in that way. And so the first aha moment to all of our athletes is, okay, here's your brain. And here's like in very rudimentary terms, here's how it functions and why it functions that way. So we've created a brain mental model based on the, the current science out there, uh, you know, um, using references from other books as well. We talk about, you know, the chimp brain, the professor brain, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is you know your, your front part of your cortex so we have all these terminologies we make it fun so when people understand so we, we kind of break down why do you have thoughts and feelings that you don't want because we all have those um and you know if you say you don't you're lying <laughs> so um we're all in the mm-hmm. starting thinking why am i doing this or oh my god i'm not good enough or whatever those kind of thoughts are and so um Understanding why that's happening is the first step towards either combating it, managing it, uh, working around it, building strategies to help with it. So for some people, you know, is that uh, panic attacks and swimming? For some people, is that low self-esteem or low confidence? Is that for some people we talk about athletic identity? What is that for you and all the different um, aspects of athletic identity? Uh, Do you feel like you deserve to call yourself an athlete? Is being an athlete just everything in your life and you have nothing else? And why is that good? Why is that bad? Mm -hmm. about a lot of things like eating eating issues eating disorders um you know a just a whole whole, motivation so we jump into like all of the real common issues that athletes have uh, in real terms it's it's kind of a a fun and fun and irreverent book um and then more recently we've been getting into this neuroscience uh, coming up with lots of strategies to deal with, you know, lowering cortisol levels and um, breathing techniques and mm-hmm. um, what we do with our eyes because of the, the um, uh, uh, you know, the chemicals that are sent to our limbic system to calm it down when our eyes are tracking from side to side. And there's just so much new research now that we can do stuff like a- M- fMRIs, uh, so instant imaging of the brain and understanding how it's functioning mm-hmm. and, so it's just fascinating all the stuff that we're learning and how we can uh, put that in sort of a performance setting or even just a day-to-day setting, how you're managing life. Um, you know, and, and one of the big things that I'm known for is, is racing under an alter ego and why having an alter ego okay. is really important, uh, you know, when you are in different facets of your life. That alter ego you might need to use if you're a teacher and you need to stand up and, you know, talk to your children. It might. We all have different hats that we wear, right? So it's understanding why that, you know, how, how we can best utilize that to get the performances that we want under stress. What is your uh, racing alter ego? Ah, mine is called, Ah. called, he is called Paddy McGinty. And Paddy McGinty, yeah, Paddy is so funny. Because we used to have this word, actually more in Scotland, it was like your McGinty, which is kind of like your kind of, your grit and determination. And my coach used to call me, you know, get your McGinty out, he would say. And and so then I started to model it off of um, Conor McGregor, you know, the MMA fighter. And yeah. 
for some reason, something struck a chord with me. One of my biggest weaknesses as a person, not even weakness, but the way that I am as a person, I'm a lot like, no, 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 you go first. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, or really worried about what other people think of me. And you look at someone like Conor McGregor, he doesn't give a shit, right? You know, someone knocks him down, he gets straight back up. And he's so much confidence, doesn't care what people think. Now, maybe that's his alter ego, but, you know, whatever. Um, So... I would use, I actually watch videos of him before big performances, at least that's what I've done in the past. And I would use some of his mannerisms, some of his body postures, because we know that behaviours, what we do actually impacts our brain chemistry. Um, So it's actually different from how they thought, you know, it's about the, the trickle up approach opposed to trickle down approach. You know, thoughts affect feelings, affect behaviours. Well, behaviours can affect feelings, can affect thoughts so you know they talk about the superman pose right where you're standing really upright in this Mm -hmm. certain pose and how it actually changes hormones in your body so i started to use especially coming from an acting background right i started to use some of conor mcgregor's behaviors the way that he'd hold his hands the way that he would look at people and i started to practice it in training and bloody hell it really worked i had confidence i started to go harder in sessions i started to like instead of being a nervous nelly at the back i was like at the front saying get out of my way and it changed my whole kind of approach to it so we started to really come up with this alter ego uh, kit uh, that we could help other people develop a, an alter ego kit so we have that in our book um, but it's so so helpful because it's very difficult when you've thought a certain way right. for you know your whole life it's not like you're suddenly going to change it without bloody you know months and months and years and years of talk therapy I mean good luck on that. You know, I just want to go well in my race. So, you know, it's, you know, fake it till you make it. There's, you know, science science behind that. Do you, uh, a lot of your athletes then have alter egos too? Is this like a whole yeah. thing you... Uh... Totally, totally in our group. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a big thing. Some, some of them use me as, me as their alter ego, which is pretty funny. Leslie, you're my alter ego. <laughs> like, oh my God. Does that mean you're going to be dropping the F-bomb all the time? That's not so good. <laughs> Um, I mean, you talked a lot about the science behind, you know, how your brain's affected. Are you seeing, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people deal with mental health issues even more right now, particularly in the last year and a half. Are you seeing that with your athletes? Are there like common things that are coming up and that, and how are you kind of dealing with them science-based? What tips do you have? Big time. So one of the biggest, so again, sort of my background has been pretty rocky uh, over the years. I've dealt with chronic Mm -hmm. disease and a lot of gut issues a lot of health issues so I've gone down many rabbit holes I've worked with some of the best what we call functional medicine doctors in the world and functional medicine is really a term which means it's kind of root cause medicine instead of giving you a pill so say you're depressed say you're anxious instead of yes you might need medication to help you you know go through that and I absolutely advocate that work with you know your specialist all the rest of it but let's get to the root cause of the whys why do you feel this way why do you feel exhausted why do you have anxiety any one of those things and there's many different reasons why you might be that way one of which yes of course it can be environmental in terms of you know the social impact what you've been through through your youth what you've dealt with any trauma but there's also a physiological mm-hmm. 
component to it. Uh, there's, you know, the gut brain access is a massive thing. You know, if you have bad gut bugs uh, or what they call leaky gut inflammation in your gut, it changes your microbiome, which sends messages to your brain and it changes neurotransmitters that go to your brain. And that can impact levels of anxiety. It can impact depression. We never knew this before. It's a whole new paradigm shift in medicine. Mm. And a lot of people don't know this. And as a, an endurance athlete that's been in it a long time, um, when, you, when you train, when you exercise, blood is taken away from your gut and you actually get micro damage in your gut lining. Now, mm. if you imagine that you're an endurance athlete for many, many hours a day, many, many weeks a year for many, many years, right? You're going to be impacted by that. Then what creates more inflammation in our gut? High sugars, what do we do? Have sugary drinks when we're out training all the time. We have gels. We have this. We have that. A lot of stuff that's creating this inflammatory cycle, which changes our microbiome, which can impact other systems in our body, hormones, again, neurotransmitters. So a lot of people are not aware of aware of these things. We also, when you think about it as athletes, we're training in gyms. We're training in pools with a lot of chlorine. We're often training indoors in houses. There's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of issues with mold, a lot of issues with chemicals. All of that changes. It has a physiologic impact on our body and can create all host of issues. Um, you know, mold, for example, is in most houses, it's in most gyms, it's in air vents. Most people never clean out, clean out their HVAC systems. And more, I mean, but you, you wouldn't be, you know, and it doesn't need to be a lot. It's not like you need to see black mold everywhere, but it can be behind a panel in your kitchen. Lo and behold, you're doing your trainer workout there twice a week for two hours, whatever. You're breathing right. on all of this. Now, across multiple weeks and years, if you have a predisposition to be impacted by that, it can create a whole host of issues. It can create massive issues with anxiety, depression, a whole host of things. So we've got to look at, you know, uh, uh, the the social piece, the environmental piece, and then, you know, foods, what foods are we eating? How is that changing our microbiome? How is that impacting our bodies? And again, as athletes, our metabolism is that much higher. What we're processing is that much more. We're more vulnerable because we're stressing our immune system. So one, yes, we might be sort of fitter, quote unquote, healthier, but we're actually stressing ourselves. So it's understanding that balance and all of these things. And it's a very sort of big, big thing to discuss. But um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sort of diving in here, but you talked about Belinda Granger talking, yeah, yeah. About, probably talk for hours <laughs> on, on this subject. Well, now I'm just curious. So is your, is your house super like for you then? Have you like nailed what foods to eat? Is your house oh. super clean? Have you like got this all? I'm always curious about the experts if like how they do it in their lives. Be brutal because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And then the more you know, you're just like, <laughs> oh my God, the more other people don't know. So um yeah, so we have air filters, we have air purifiers in our house. We have like a an ozone generator that we take with us everywhere. It's a little portable thing because I'm really susceptible to mold and that's been a huge issue um we have oh, okay. everything from supplements to the types I've, I've had a lot of gut issues and so i've been at points where literally all i could eat was chicken rice and green beans um otherwise right. I've been in a lot of pain so uh, almost like ibs symptoms so i've had to kind of manage that at the same time still trying to train 
uh, which has been an absolute challenge. But I'm just very disciplined. I, I know in advance where I'm going, how to do it, how to plan it out. But I think more than anything, I'm, I, 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 when again, when someone say, tells me you can't get any better or the way you feel now is the way you'll always feel and you're only going to feel worse or your injury, you're never going to get over it. Off. No way. You kidding me? I'm going to find every way to feel the best that I can feel and to overcome this. Right. Okay. So from here, I mean, you're still going to do coaching. You're still going to race when you want to, but mostly we're going to focus all this energy on films, right? Yep. Yep. So coaching and film yep. is probably okay. the, the two main things, um, you know, and, and I think one really, really helps the other. It's amazing because I'm out there now mm-hmm. in the world of film being stimulated by all of these stories. And essentially, when you're a, a screenwriter and a, a film producer, you're your eyes have to be open. You're in different cultures. You're thinking right. of different stories you want to tell. You're understanding the psychology behind why people make choices that they make because you have to, uh, you know, uh, put that in your characters to make them believable. And as a consequence, what it does is it really helps us on the coaching side understand different people, why they act the way that they do, why they are the way that they are. You know, we coach a lot of people from all over the world, so different cultures. And, you know, and then I think in turn they love – they love it that we have other things that are going on and that we have some life experience mm-hmm. and, and that triathlon isn't everything because it isn't for most of our athletes. It's one piece of many things that they have going right. on. I think we really, we really get that. Uh, we get the obsessive compulsiveness because that was me when I was racing and I'm still like that. But we get that, you know, there's family, there's jobs, there's this, there's that. And how do you manage all of that? Because with all that I've got going on, I've kind of become a ninja at managing it. So I can really help people, you know, okay, how do you want to achieve these athletic goals, but at the same time, maintain your your life goals? So here's my last question for you. Are you going to make a movie about triathlon? I haven't seen like a good movie. There's good running movies and books, but there's not like a good triathlon one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I doubt I would make a, a triathlon movie. I think, you know, they, they kind of become quite hokey um, when really good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like when you watch some of the cycling movies, you're like, OK, that actor totally is not a cyclist. That's just that looks terrible. Right. Um, but what what is at the core of it is is something really important that you want to say. Um, some bigger kind of thematic thing that you want to, you know, put forward. So for me, it would either be a really small character piece. Uh, I've read a really good script recently, actually, that's all about this uh, gal trying to attract cyclists in the Olympics. But, you know, should she have kids? Shouldn't she have kids? And her training partner that ends up having a child and the jealousy between that. And, you know, just like all of these really Is interesting. Is it based on that book? It was gold. Yeah. There was a book about like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that was great. But but one thing that Simon and I, we have a script that we're writing at the moment. It's a thriller about genetic modification. Mm. So it would be like a born film, but with sport as a backdrop, probably athletics or something that people can, can relate to, but is still sort of endurance. Yeah. Um, but it would be a thriller, right? So sports like the backdrop and you're in, and the world is really cool. And, and for people that, that haven't been a part of it could really get into it. But at the same time, it's fast paced. There's a lot of action. It's a thriller. It's bigger conspiracy. It's, mm-hmm. but it's about this, you know, this woman that discovers that she's been genetically modified from birth and didn't know it. 
So what would you do? If nobody knew you were cheating, would you still cheat? What does it do to your identity when you thought you were this person and then it changes, right? So all of these really cool existential type questions, um, you know, that's definitely something that, that, that we'd be, we'd love to do for sure. Okay. Yeah, I know. Running is the one that running just sort of, I feel like from an artistic sense, it's the one, like you said, people identify with more. So it's the one that people use as a backdrop for stories. I just keep being like, we could put triathlon in there. Why not? I know. Could you imagine trying to get an actor to swim, bike and run and actually look authentic doing it? You would definitely need <laughs> it. It would just be like, oh God. Yeah. It would be a challenge. Yeah, but still, it's all good. We'll make a whole Xterra movie. It'll be great. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you know, I mean, I could see, I could see kind of like an adventure sports type thing mm-hmm. and I could see some sort of horror film. I know this sounds really ridiculous. Not, not really, because like a horror film based around you know, you're out doing this adventure and you kind of get, you know, adventure race and getting lost and it's like a survival type, right? You could see that. That would be really cool. Um, So maybe maybe we'll go down that path. (laughs) There you go. New idea. (laughs) That's right. Great. Well, thank you so much for... (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with us and uh, and good luck with all 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 of the things that you're doing. Absolutely. I'll, I'll make sure you get invited to the Oscars. How's about that? Well, we'll have a triathlete. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. All right. Good one. Thanks. Thanks to Leslie and to Laura. Hope you all have a great Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. And don't forget to check out our Outside Plus holiday membership deals at triathlete.com backslash Outside Plus, P-L-U-S, right now. Keep training and keep listening.